Welcome back to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. In this episode, I'm speaking with Josh Brill, who is a mindfulness music teacher. To sum up what we discussed in this intro is incredibly difficult because he is a really, really gifted teacher and a very thoughtful and insightful person. And so there was just a richness to this that is a little bit complex to um, reduce into a small soundbite. I invite you to listen to this with an open heart. And if you have ever taken music lessons as I have, I'm sure you will be really fascinated and touched by the way that he is transmuting a practice that we have become rather comfortable with, the way that music has been taught throughout the ages, and how he's sharing it in a very different, very yogic and mindful way. So let's do this. Here we go. It's been a little while since I've seen or talked to you, so I feel like anything you say is going to be new to me. Um, but I know that you've been working on some online courses, so maybe that's a great place to start. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, it's interesting because I, I've been uh, focusing in on, on teaching online for quite some time. And then, of course, the pandemic happened and it was uh, it was interesting actually to see it, to see that technology and, and that interface be more adapted by the user. That, that there's there's a, a, you know, a beautiful blessing, I think, in the pandemic of of the whole world getting on Zoom and learning this technology and being able to interface, obviously, in less than ideal of a situation. But um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, it, I think it really opened up the door. So while I've had online courses before, um, the COVID situation really catalyzed me to develop more interactive live Zoom programs in addition to just pre-recorded videos that somebody could go at their own pace. And I kind of basically at the beginning of COVID, it was it really uh, struck me. How can I best serve right now? How can I best help? And, and what I recognized um, amongst the many things is that there's a lot of stress in the air, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of people um, ingesting stuff with their mind and attention that that probably wasn't the most supportive for them in that moment. You know, the the. I mean, pick pick your mental ingestion of it all, all you know all the social media and all and all the the conflict and all of that type of stuff so it, it basically called me into action to develop a program um for the ukulele called ukulele mindfulness which um part of my intention was to cultivate community bring people together and give them tools and resources to help them uh lower their stress uh, have something to do with their time. I think a lot of people had more time than they knew what to do with. Uh, so basically using the, the ukulele and, and music as a mindfulness practice to begin to relax the nervous system, uh, do something productive with their time, and then of course, connect people together. So I have to ask, because we're going to be using this word a lot, I can tell. You say ukulele because that's how they say it in Hawaii? That is, and and, and okay. for a while, for for a, for a while, I was pronouncing it with my Chicago accent of ukulele, right? Which I have another program called Yoga of Ukulele, so that that, that definitely that alliteration goes much better until. But I was called out <laughs> in a very gentle <laughs> way of, of somebody saying, you know, the the correct pronunciation is ukulele. So I, I've done my best to to adopt it. That's cute. We well, could change it to Y O U ukulele. 
That's true. <laughs> okay, so ukulele. Um, and that's an instrument that I suppose I should have guessed that you played, but I didn't realize you because I know you as a guitarist. Mm -hmm. But is that something that you've been cultivating for a long time? How how did that start? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had an interest in, in it for a, maybe it was around 2016. And I just kind of noticed how how many people were playing them. And I was actually in Thailand, I think the first time I played a ukulele. And it was just fun. Like, like there, there was just something fun about it. it it's very relatable to guitar. Uh, it's, it's, you know, all of, of course, my, my physical technique was transferred over and, um, and the, without going into a full music lesson, but, but the proportions of the notes are very similar to, to the four strings of the guitar. So um, that was my first time kind of having an ukulele experience. Um, while I was in Thailand at the same time, I was developing my yoga guitar program, which was kind of my flagship of this method. So that there was a seed there that was planted. And um, maybe it was a year or two later that actually, interesting enough, after my first in-person yoga of guitar workshop, uh, I used some, some of the proceeds from that and I went and bought a ukulele. And, and I just kind of started messing around. And, and I actually found that, that this method that I'm, I'm offering and, and, and discovering as well of music and mindfulness works really well with ukulele um, for, for a number of reasons. Um, one, I'm kind of on a mission here to help anybody who wishes to develop their experience with music to have that become available because I think, uh, and we could maybe go into this later, but a lot of the ways that I've noticed music has been taught is not really the best way that people learn, um, kind of like most things. <laughs> so anyway, so I, I found the ukulele to be a great way to learn music because, um, you know, it's the, the size of it makes the physical aspect a whole lot easier to manage than guitar, which is just, there's a lot of strings. That the, it, it's a lot more difficult, yeah. um, as well as just the sound. It, it's already nice. You don't have to do much. <laughs> to make a nice sound and that's kind of part of the method so it's been a just a sort of natural transition and and, and it's been gaining in popularity of people um, who have been taking my programs you know um, because it's just like a perfect instrument to to use yeah oh my gosh the size thing made me laugh because i just brought my full-size keyboard down to mexico huh. people were like what is that you know as guy was like taking it off of the luggage thing and i'm like this is why you teach your kids guitar <laughs> <laughs> or ukulele, ukulele, I suppose would be even better. But yeah, there there is something to be said for the portability of an instrument, especially if you enjoy playing with others, because very difficult, especially when we have a piano around. So thank God somebody invented a keyboard. But yeah, still pretty bulky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was just going to add uh, portability and just the, the physical mechanism of. You know, like this is very portable, but to wrap your body around, especially if you're new and to press down, it's harder to get the notes clear. Yeah, it does. Do, ukulele doesn't hurt your fingers as much as well when you, or do you still have to build up calluses? Uh, a little bit, but definitely, definitely not as much. I mean, the the strings are are much thinner. Uh, of course, the the neck is much slimmer, so the 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 space of of pressure between the fingers is less. Mm -hmm. So it, it takes a lot less than, than guitar. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. 
So when you teach the music and mindfulness, do you, are you teaching to people who generally have never played an instrument? A, a fair amount, you know. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I've never, I haven't done the actual percentages, but but I would say a good amount of the people who have been joining my ukulele program have have not played an instrument, or they did a little bit and never really took. Like so, I, like I would say that there's a. I'm just going to throw this number out there, but maybe 60 or 70 percent are the first time really taking on a musical practice. That's, that's cool. That's a very when when I taught children's music the first time they had the kids learn on. Oh, no, they wanted me to learn ukulele. a bunch of times I've been prompted to learn ukulele. seems like it keeps coming up. Um, <laughs> Do you have yeah. one? No, but my ex-husband does, who lives here, and he wants to use my harmonium, so maybe we could switch. There you go. <laughs> what do you find is the, like, what what is a good way to learn music? I'm, I'm curious. Like, what have you learned doesn't work, and what have you learned does? Yeah, it's been a really exciting discovery of late. I've been teaching, I've been teaching music since I was 13, and um, you know, I'm 41 right now, so it's it's been a journey, and and that journey has been from private lessons to um, once I went to Berkeley College of Music while I was teaching at Berk while I was studying at Berkeley, I was teaching at a at a high school in Boston. Just, can I just back you up there? Yeah, I've been teaching since you were 13. So like, when did you start playing? <laughs> I started when I was eight. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so sorry, yeah. Berkeley College when of Music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I was studying at Berkeley. I was teaching at a co at a high school during that time. After I graduated Berkeley, they brought me back to teach there, uh, and then I basically began teaching college in Chicago uh, at, a, at a college in Chicago when I was twenty two. So I like so basically, this my, my teaching path has been a, has been a long one. Um, yeah. And then I basically took a, a sabbatical for a while around around two thousand seven or eight. I was still teaching, but I needed a little bit of a rest and. Yeah. When I came back to it, um, it, it was from a different angle, which was more of exploring it as a um, a path of transformation, um, you know. And and that's a big word, and that can mean a lot of things. But but being able to play music is a transformative experience, you know. You, you it's something that we aren't able to do now. We are, and and that would be considered a transformation. Um, so along the way, basically, you know. Uh, couple things I, I was really blessed to have really great teachers for the most part and what I learned uh, during that time of a really good way to teach is engaging curiosity engaging exploration engaging experience and giving the students space <clears throat> so when I came back to teaching and basically began developing this mindfulness approach uh, and partially from for my own self to kind of rebuild my relationship to music. There's there's the quintessential hero's journey of, you know, the dark night of the soul. And I couldn't play guitar for a long time because I had an injury and I was just burned out emotionally, physically. And part of the way that I repaired my, repaired my relationship was beginning to explore it from a whole different mechanism. So rather than focusing in on accomplishment and trying to master it, which I did for my formative years and, and I was aspiring to be a professional musician. So that was important for that. But reaching a place of burnout, I realized that at this point, um, my life shifted into rather than aspiring to continue to be a professional musician, 
I, I was aspiring to help people develop their lives and become more in tune. So that began really, how can we learn music to become more in tune with ourselves? And music itself is a tuning process. So to answer your question <laughs> with all that, all that said, what I found that the way most people learn music that is not so good, one, the majority of the current musical pedagogy, that's okay, is, is an echo of, you know, eight, 17th, 18th, 19th century European approach to learning music, which was very masculine, very discipline oriented, you know, very just practice 10 hours a day. You just need to put in the time perfection oriented and not to say that stuff doesn't work but that doesn't work for the majority of the people but most of our musical education has been a trickle down of people learning that way and then teaching that way to some degree mm -hmm. or you have the current guitar teacher you know like the dime a dozen guitar teacher not to put anybody down but who you know never quite made it as a, as a musician and this is kind of their this is what they fall back to do. And they're not, you know, they're not maybe not really uh, sensitive to their students' needs. You know, maybe they're not really thrilled about the experience. So people are getting in a, like, they'll go to a lesson and their teacher will maybe not be fully engaged or have a very specific template of this is what you must do and this is how you must do it. And most of that is also very visually based and intellectually based again, from a primarily masculine filter of seeking perfection, you know, or, or doing it right. What I found is missing, what, and what I, what's been really revolutionary that I continue to, to discover in this method is what happens, and this has been my approach. Also, like just to back up for a moment, um, I wasn't born musically gifted. I, I re, like, in fact, music was really difficult for me. So I had to figure out how do I do this thing? <laughs> that I know is possible for other people. I see other people do it, and I believe it's possible for me, but for some reason, I just can't hear if that note's in tune or out of tune, or for some reason, I can't keep my rhythm steady. And, and then I asked why, it, it, you know, and, and that basically began to develop uh, an investigative conscious awareness sort of observer of what's going on inside that is that's the reason I can't hear if that note's in pitch or if I can't hear that's in time. And I began to understand music as an inside experience. Um, so how people um, learn music is generally not inside experience. It's generally an external experience. Yeah, and especially now with YouTube, you know, which there's nothing wrong with that, but there's no interaction at that point. Um, but generally teachers will say, do this, do that, do that, do that. And then if let's say it's on, on guitar, their first lesson, their, their teacher might say, put your finger there, put your finger there, put your finger there. Now with this hand, do this. And it sounds like this. <laughs> and that's not very exciting for the student, you know, to, to hear this. <laughs> and so oftentimes they're learning something that's too difficult for their capability. So there's not an engaged, enthusiastic uh, experience of fulfillment. And it's external. Once again, do that, do that, put your finger there, put your finger there. However, the, the primary awareness is that, that music is really found is in our auditory awareness and our kinesthetic awareness. So what, what I found has been really productive is to help people learn how to listen. Yeah. Here's how you train your auditory awareness because we have different awareness, uh, primary awarenesses. Many of us are visual. 
especially in a hypervisual world that we live in where the majority of our attention is, you know, we're receiving things with our eyes and or very, very thought heavy, you know, so one, the, the, the musician's awareness is whether that you were gifted with this or you learned this over time, but it's, you really learn how to listen at a deeper level than what the normal level of listening is and how to feel your body since movement, since this is a movement practice. So if we're not in our body, we're not in our ears. Hold on, hold on. That's really, could you just repeat that? Because I've never heard that. Of course, that makes total sense. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Movement, that music is a movement. I just want to say it again so that our audience hears it. (laughs) Let's let's say it a thousand times. Uh, Yeah, so music is a movement practice. It's necessitated on moving our body. Um, Of course, you know, singing also would be, although it's a much finer level, but let's just talk about something that's using our hands. So if we're moving our body, it's important that we are inside of our body and not just the external, oh, I should put that finger there, but can I feel inside of my hand? Can I feel inside of the finger and move the finger from the physical awareness rather than the mental instruction or the visual? I'm looking at my hands and I'm not in my body. So, so kinesthetic and auditory. And by, by helping people want to tune their attention and their awareness to that, which in and of itself is challenging because all, all of this is predicated on, our, on the functioning of our attention, of our awareness, which as we know, is increasingly in short supply these days. So part of it is helping people learn how to tune into what that is and begin to expand their, their presence in the moment. And then work with exercises and practices that, um, that, that give some sense of fulfillment. And if somebody learns how to listen to a note deep enough, you know, just within, just within one note, you're really listening deep there's a whole story going on there's a whole journey that it's swelling there's there's little there's harmonics there's a whole thing that if we're if we're appreciating the sound general part of our mind that that tends to get bored or is so much on what's next what's next what's next which actually disengages people in the experience that they're learning how to actually engage and have a fulfilling experience at the auditory level and feeling their body, which is engaging at the, at the physical level. All of this, what I found, uh, especially through the lens of mindfulness and these practices that I've been developing, help us go into a meditative state, which reduces our, our stress experience, because generally whenever we're learning something new, it, there's some stressful, there, most people have a stress response because most people just want to be good at it. And they feel if they're not good at it right away, there's something wrong with them. So there's generally a negative response that happens and especially if you have a teacher who's coming from that framework (laughs) so helping people be self-compassionate helping people really understand that this is a process if if it's not something you're capable of doing right in this moment it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you it just means that what we're we're still we're training the awareness is to develop and and once again using these practices that i've developed to frame it as a meditation lower excuse me lowers that stress response so when our when our when we don't have stress when we're in a more relaxed state we're actually way more open to receive and we learn better and at a deeper level 
So that's the very long answer to, uh, to that. And I could, of course, expand on this for hours and hours, but, but we'll, we'll leave that's some totally there. fascinating. No, I mean, this is, this is your moment to talk. So if you have more to say about that, feel free. But I, I'm actually, I wanted to go back to what you were saying. Um, you sort of brought it up as an aside and I, it got me curious. You said that you weren't naturally gifted at music. And so I wonder, besides wanting to know why you weren't, like, what was the, did you just love it so much you knew you had to do it? Or like, was somebody pushing you to play guitar? Like, what, what was your reason for starting? Uh, yeah, it, it was all me. <clears throat> so my, my parents were really supportive when, when I was eight. And I said, you know, I, I really want to learn guitar. They said, okay, we'll get you lessons. And mm -hmm. I said, I really want an electric guitar. And they said, okay, we'll play for a year and then we'll get you an electric guitar. It's like, you know, um, and why, okay, so why do I feel I wasn't musically inclined? You know, I don't know. And, and what I've learned through my journey as a musician and meeting musicians who are true, what I would call gifted, like at a, at a natural level, they still have to work for it, you know? But some people I and I met, and I'll say this, they're the the, the rarer of all of the musicians who I, I've worked with. And you know, the, there's a there's a few who I could think of who are like, well, they just they were given a gift, you know, and and again they still had to practice and they still had to put in the time, but 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 their wires were connected in a way that allowed them to to hear music I would say at at an accurate level, that that their perception was just aligned to be able to understand that language pretty easy, you know, fluidly and interact with that, where I didn't have that, like established. I, I, I loved music and um, and that was the motivation, at, like I would say. Do you have like a, an idol? Yeah, yeah. You can't hear yeah. me? Uh, no, you just froze for a little bit, but it looks like oh, we're back. Oh, well... <laughs> my trauma response <laughs> um i've been told uh so you you just did did you have like somebody you wanted to be like or yeah you know i i did i i, I love okay so i loved music i think even like maybe when i was five that was the first the first cassette i got it was was the monkey's greatest hits because i would watch the monkeys and, and I, you know, like I had a real deep attraction to sound and music. And then my second tape was, was Bruce Springsteen, Born in the USA. And, um, and I had a cousin who played guitar. So I was always, you know, I always wanted to play his guitar. There was just, there's a natural draw to it. Uh, so when I was eight, yeah, I, I basically wanted to, you know, be playing Bruce Springsteen songs and, and monkey songs. Yeah. And, and I did, that's actually what my teacher, you know, had me learn. Um, so the, the gift that I do feel I had was an inner drive, an inner drive and connection to do it because it wasn't easy, you know, and I, and I don't think it's necessarily easy for anybody. Again, some people might have a little bit more fluidity in the experience. Um, but I just really felt like I, I had to do it. There, there was an internal knowing that I had to, and I even remember when I was, roughly around nine and, and I wasn't really practicing that much, you know, at that, the mindset at the time was half hour a day, mm -hmm. which you know can be useful. And I wasn't, and my parents were like, well, we're, you know, we're going to cancel your lessons because you're not, you know, using it. And I remember crying. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I, I can remember this moment 
you know, like, like, like I just knew I needed to do it. And um, when I was 12, I, like, I recognized like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. You know, at, at the time, I thought I would be the next Eddie Van Halen, or at least that's, that's what I wanted to be. You know, and then the journey has, has come to now, which is like, oh, it all makes sense. That I had to have had that difficulty so that I could really learn music from the inside out and figure out what that is so I can help all the, the majority of the people who aren't that naturally, that just didn't get that gift. Mm -hmm. But they should still have access to music and they can. So my journey has basically been, you know, it's been a, it's a spiritual path of learning through the obstacles. And then now how do I, how do I put that into an act of devotion, which is help people learn music um but also through my journey the 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 stress that i accumulated upon myself by trying to be that that master and, and you know um and stress in many ways that led that led to the burnout and all of the things recognizing along the way that okay great learning how to play music is is a fun thing to do but feeling good as a human and having a peaceful mind and a relaxed nervous system um is really important and and to use them together uh, is a beautiful way to have access to both of those things to access mm -hmm. music through mindfulness and access mindfulness through music so what is the structure of your your inner more inter interactive courses now um the structure is so again i have like the the online courses that that are pre-recorded i have one for guitar and one for ukulele um the structure of both of those is an exploration of the instrument from a yogic principle both so exploring actually you know the the limbs of yoga and how that applies like how do we apply ahimsa to our practice well if we're hard on ourselves, that's not you know we're, we're ahimsa being do no harm so we're potentially harming ourselves um, satya, how do, how do we how do we apply truth to our experience? So there's a there's a filter of yogic philosophy there, and then also learning how to play as a meditation. So how to have a meditative experience as we're learning. So for example, if if we're learning, you know, the G chord on the ukulele, it's like this is a challenging chord for people. This is also one of the first chords people tend to learn. So. Mm -hmm rather than get then have them do this right away the first thing i might have them do is well let's get inside of this finger so that we are aware inside of our finger and then have a fulfilling experience by playing by playing a couple notes and directing that as a meditation most people if they just play a couple notes at a very shallow level they'll get bored right away because they want to do more mm -hmm. so the course is structured to help them have an engaging experience with the sound and with their body and then the instruments, uh, all framed as a, as a meditation that sequentially basically builds the, the technical facility to be able to play more um, notes and options. Yeah. This is really interesting too, because so what I've been doing recently is over the past year or so is something that occurred to me which similarly occurring to you of like oh we learn music in a strange way it's like huh people don't feel very good about their voices that's mm -hmm. <laughs> a really and that's so alien to me because i've never not felt good about my voice mm -hmm. but but i recognize like what you know that it's it's part of your body it's like i don't feel good about my finger i don't feel good about my ear or my eyes i mean 
that that must be you know such a burden to walk around with so or you know but that we're not even conscious of because it's like we don't even think about it anymore right um but that that idea of like being aware of your body while you're playing an instrument is kind of what i've been doing but having people like in their instrument which is their body mm. you know so like because you're creating sound when you sing within your body so you are your ukulele <laughs> vessel yeah. right um so i i find i find all this so interesting how we i don't know we're like i i feel like i just sort of channeled it i mean it sounds like that's kind of what you know it was like a download that you received like you know because it, it wasn't there before <laughs> <laughs> it was a 33 year old, 33 year download. That, yeah. that is continuing. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's really, it's really fascinating how, how things like that evolve. And then you're just like, huh, I, I have a spiritual practice around an instrument and nobody, nobody has thought to do this in exactly this way before. And here you are. So anyway. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting how, I mean, the journey of music, you know, our, our framing of music in the past hundred or so years is very, very different than, than how music has been experienced in the past for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of which is the, the, the commercialization and commodification and industry of music, which I don't think is a bad thing. I mean, those words can oftentimes have pejorative connotations. I mean, it's, it's actually amazing. Music has, if we look at music as an evolving living presence, We've never had as much diversity and continuing creative expansion than there is right now. It's it's a, as a music lover, I think it's such a great time. If if you think about how much how much music could the average person hear a hundred years ago, right? It was very rare, right. you know. And if you go and the further you go back, it, just the 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 opportunity to hear any music, you know, besides maybe just somebody in your local town. Who had you know something you know or somebody humming and but so the the point is that we're framing music right now a lot of our perception is post industry so music kind of tends to live in these boxes such as artist performer you know um, album this type of thing and how we learn music tends to be influenced by that oh I want to be that per I would like to be like that I want to do that where a thousand years ago. Like, you know, if, if we think about a thousand years ago in India, uh, in, in Varanasi, what was their experience of music? It, it, it was just part of life. Like, it just was. Like, it, there, there was less of this separation of, you know, so I think that, that for the longest time, probably for the history of music, music has been a spiritual path in a lot of ways. But maybe not, like, because of modernity and, and all the complications of our current life, the greater necessity to really focus in on it specifically as that as as medicine for all of the increasing complexities and distractions and, and all of the the ways that we can lose connection to our inner inner self um so yeah yeah that just gets that just like my mind just went off on so many different things that i'm curious about now like what what your perspective is because so on the one hand it seems like most cultures have like a, a mastery of music, mm -hmm. like whatever their version of that is. But then there's also this like folklore, mm -hmm. you know, where anybody can participate. We seem to have lost the folklore, <laughs> you know, as, as, as a culture, like it's not, you know, there's a lot of things that we dabble in, but music 
um, music isn't necessarily one of them. I mean, we do, but we judge ourselves like the masters, you know? Right. Yeah. That's such a good point. It's a, you know, I mean, I think maybe like in, in our sort of niche world, Kirtan it has been a version of that, of something that, although right. of course that has its version of hierarchy as well, sure. that, you know, that we know, <laughs> but I think that part of the appeal to that is the, um, the decentralization of the experience that it really is something we're, we're doing together. That's a great word for that. I've never used that for Kirtan. I like that. <laughs> Which one? Decentralization. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one you hear a lot in the cryptocurrency sphere, but not in the, in music. I like that. Yeah. I haven't heard it anyway. Yeah, no, but I, I really like that insight. I, I think that, and I think that's so important. Um, part of why I feel called to the music mindfulness approach is, is because it does that. Um, it gives people the experience of playing and having a fulfilling moment without it being aspirational. Mm. And, and there's nothing... You know, when you mentioned the, the sort of the, the, the mastery and the folk tradition, it's like both of those are very important, too. And, and, and you know, as somebody who has devoted oneself to, to having a mastery, uh, a certain level of mastery with an instrument and in music, there's a transcendental thing that can happen by having a, a higher level of how I approach it is availability or access to music. So if my fingers can do more things and I know where different sounds and colors and rhythms are out of the infinite nature of music, I have a little bit wider channel open than if I can only play two notes. Not that there's something wrong with two notes. So there's something about that sort of that pursuit of, of, of mastery and excellence that is something I think also very important. It's just not important for everybody. And, and that's OK. And, and for those who aren't, they should have a way to learn. And that's part of what I feel my mission is, is to bring that into the world that is um, it's it, it's removed from all those things. And of course, if if they along their path do take a step of like, you know, I'd really like to, to, to get good in all of that. They actually have a great foundation because now their foundation is based on relaxation and connection. And it actually can expedite the process of of mastery. Um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed in, in teaching and I've kind of come to this realization, uh, I, I put I put a lot of thought and uh, it's probably for a whole nother podcast, but contemplation on, on our experience of time and how that affects our, our reality. So the short of it is, is that we're always in the present moment, no matter what, but our attention can be jumping outside of the present moment, thinking about the past, thinking about the future. And the shorter duration of our present moment is, the more we feel time kind of compressed. It's why when we're in a rush and we're in the line at the checkout, it, one minute can feel like 10 because we're just like, we have this internal compression that's happening. It's like a time compression. So time seems like it's going slower, taking longer to get the thing that we want. And it's dependent on this, I want this thing now. It now feels forever away and I, and I have difficulty reconciling that. So stress response versus the, the relaxed moment, which is an expanded present moment. Our, our sense of duration changes. We're, there, there's more patience that's available within that. So one of the things that I think, and it's the very natural part of, of human, especially modern human, is when we want something, we want it now. And, and that's a very common habitual response. So when we want something, we want it now, 
we think, or we don't even think, but it's a natural response, well, I'll just play faster. <laughs> so we want something sooner, and we think that we need to go faster to get it sooner. And it's very challenging to learn how to slow down, and that's a big part of what I teach people, um, is literally how to work with the neurological mechanism, which is, which is all this temporal perception, this perception of time has to do with our neurons and brain waves. If we could learn how to internally slow down the tempo, which takes, is, a, is a big part of the, the work that I'm presenting, when we learn how to do that, we give ourselves the opportunity to actually go slow, where it's literally like we're taking off the foot off the gas pedal. So we're not putting the brakes on it, but we're taking off. But most of our brains are, are very lead, lead feet. And then it's going to create a frustration response because I want this now and I can't get it. So therefore, blah, 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 you know, shut down disengagement. But if by slowing this down and having an expand, expanded moment, it actually gives you the chance to take your time, do something slow, which ironically or is that'll actually bring you the results sooner than if you went faster because the faster actually doesn't doesn't establish Mm -hmm. uh, the structure that, that this is built on. Right. That makes a lot of sense, especially in terms of practicing music, for sure. I remember that, when I was told, because to, I learned piano in the, the regular way. I hated it. <laughs> and, and I remember you were supposed to do scales, and you were supposed to do them precisely and slowly with the perfect fingering. But I would always want to like do them faster to get it over with or just mm -hmm. to like prove that I could, you know, but it would it would indeed not really help my my technique very much <laughs> because it was sloppy. You know. How do you feel if, if you could go back to that moment as a child, recognizing now that that there is something about playing slow and accurate and precise that that's valuable for a certain aspiration? Yeah. If you were teaching that principle, but to a child, how would you, how would you have them feel more open to that experience and, and engage in, into that? The thing that got me to actually care about playing piano was when somebody showed me how I could play my own music to it. So it became much less abstract. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I guess I didn't really care about playing scales. <laughs> I still don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, although I appreciate knowing them. So let's see. Maybe not so much emphasis on like doing every single one of them every time. Mm. And, mm. you know, how many times you do them. But like, try to do one and enjoy, you know, <laughs> like try to really experience that one. It sounds like sort of might be your approach, right? I, yeah, and how would you encourage the actual enjoyment of it? Huh. That seems like something someone would, would want to come with, right? Like, how would you convince somebody that they should enjoy the instrument that they're playing? That's your question. <laughs> I mean, I think it's easier as adults. I, right now, I haven't taught kids, children in, in, in some years, and... and um, I just, you know, that's just not where I'm at. But I, yeah. but I do feel called to develop this as a, as a program for children as well. Mm -hmm. I think as adults, it's easy to understand we should enjoy the moment because we, we have enough experience where, where we can have a, a meta version of consciousness where the, the one of the challenges with children is there's just so they're so in the moment 
that it's like how do you lead them to enjoyment if if it's something if there's resistance you know a child doesn't i don't want to do that right. you know so how, how, do, how do we yeah how do we bring them to for my son because he he does drum lessons mm-hmm. he, he just he'd never really heard anybody play drum which is drums which is funny so he's not like a drum idol or anything like that but he uh-huh. just saw a drum kit and was like whoa i want to do that and for him it was again like learning things that he liked so like his i told his teacher i was like would you mind like teaching him how to play along to some nintendo music or something and and he was totally into that you know um so that was that was fun to like bring you know to just bring in something that's familiar i guess or or already already enjoyable yeah how how like what they're doing could make that even cooler because now they understand it on a totally different level yeah absolutely that's that's all I got on that. I'm I'm uh, really excited for the moment when I can actually buy him a drum kit because that's I hear him talking about like how how obnoxious it is to transport a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll get him a cajon. Um, but yeah, oh, so I'm. I mean, we have a little bit more time, and if you want to talk about the time thing a little bit more, I'm, I'm all ears, and I'm right. sure everyone listening to this is having a, an amazing time, just like I am. So let's 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 do it. <laughs> let's go there. Um, yeah. Well, you know, an amazing time. It's it's interesting to think about how much we use that term time in our vernacular. Mm-hmm and how little understanding we have of what that actually is. So, you know, generally I feel when most people are, when they think about time, they're generally thinking about, oh, it's 1257, which I would call a time coordinate. It's marking marking time, just as an address mark space. The, the, The difference between space and time, at least from our perception is, is my address, you know, 2441, doesn't move. <laughs> it's, uh, it's part of a moving system, but, but it, it, you know, it, it is where it is. And time is something that is, is movement. It, the, that there is a, uh, there's movement. We're, we're in this present moment. And as far as we can tell, tomorrow is going to happen. And then the, the weird thing is tomorrow becomes a new today. But there's a, but there's a distinct dis- distinction between present moment, future, and past, and as far as we can tell, especially from our understanding of, of physics, our experience of time only moves in one direction. There's a term called time's arrow, which is towards the future. <laughs> that <clears throat> that you know that I can't go back to yesterday and change anything, at least according to what we know. You know, maybe I could remember it if I was really present in those in those moments. But the past is there, the present's always here, and, and there's a, a, a sense of movement that happens. And one, there's basically, I forget the specific terms in, in, the, in physics, but one of the approaches to look to explore time is that we're moving in towards the future. Another is that the future is moving towards us. Hmm. And, and I feel they're, they're, both of those are valid to begin to just contemplate and kind of play with. Um, but, but the gist of it is that time is if not our, if 
is basically our greatest resource that we have because in a sense it's all we have um, and it's intrinsically connected to our attention um, this is all related to music but this is all also part of, of a coaching program that I'm currently developing basically how to live your life from a musical standpoint um, but our attention and time are intrinsically linked with our experience of time we're aware of it with our attention how in tune are we with time is dependent on how in tune our attention is and what i mean by that is we can kind of begin to to sense the movement of time and our sense of movement of time the tricky part is that our perception of time which is our our or, you know the organ that we perceive time is our brain is also moving so we're Something that's moving is trying to perceive something that's also moving that, that that's in a flow if we think of time like like as a flow experience and This thing that's moving moves in very irregular ways for the most part. So our sort of internal measure of time is Fluctuating which is why 10 seconds might feel like a minute for some it might feel like two seconds time flies when you're having fun all of the various degrees of time distortion that we experience my sort of research has been that it's based on the fluctuations of, of the brain. Why that's important, it's, it's actually a very deep question. If we were going to build a house, it's important that we're able to measure the space, because that's what you're measuring when you're building a physical structure is space accurately. And if you know where this wall is going to be and this wall is going to be, well, then you know where the center point, which is a point of balance. And in between that, that point, you have another point of balance and you can begin to build a sound structure in space that you know obviously has its utility uh, for survival and, and such things. Imagine that we are measuring um, space and we're trying to build a building, but our measuring tape is fluctuating while we measure it. The numbers are, are doing this and zooming in and zooming out it'd be very difficult to have an accurate measure of that structure. That's what the rhythmic experience is. And that's how our awareness of time as a musician, we're basically learning how to regulate our perception of time to have a reliable measure of it. If we can have a reliable measure of a pulse, something begins to happen. Just a steady single pulse, we start moving. It brings people together. There's a magic that happens when we begin to have an expression of equal measure of time that's consistent. Now, if I were doing this, it doesn't quite have that effect. In fact, it might get annoying pretty, pretty quickly, but something like this, we could kind of have in the background and it begins to regulate something. What does it begin to regulate? Well, our brain. So marking time at the auditory level begins to entrain our brainwaves into regularity. So that, that, that temp, that time perceiver that's changing, that's in flux because we're thinking a lot and our minds are drifting and all the things, because our attention begins to get centered on marking the time, it creates what we call an entrainment of the, of the, of the brainwaves that begins to stabilize the mind. Happens in meditation, why music is so me um, meditative. By expressing it with the physical gesture, now there's two levels of awareness there. Well, three even. There's the listening to time, which is a sense of something that we begin to have measure. There's the physical movement that's coordinated with that. And then an auditory response that's happening there. So basically three senses begin to become um, harmonized 
for lack of a better word, or it might even be a good one. And what that does there is that is beginning to really begin to create a, an internal structure. So just like measuring space can create external structure, having an, a measure of an internal measure of time can create an internal structure, which we might use the word focus or concentration, but it's something very different than that. It's, I would say, presence, because what we're doing is we're stabilizing our present moment and expanding it. <clears throat> so just like we're always in the present moment, but we know there's a future and we know there's a past, how well we can anticipate that future and meet it with regularity creates movement. It creates momentum. It's why that, you know, when a song begins, I just start. Something's happening. You're brought in. I could play for five minutes, and we and we would be taken on a journey for there. So that present moment would 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 coalesce our attention. Let's say for that five minutes, or that was about seven seconds, mm -hmm. and bring us from a present moment into a future present moment with continuum where most of our difficulty is we disengage, we have segmented thoughts, our moment is segmented, is broken up, there's distraction. Distraction, the root of distraction is the word action or traction. So if we're trying to gain traction in our life, well, distraction would be what's keeping us back from that. Well, what is distraction? It's our present moment getting chopped up. So by beginning to regulate our temporal perception, our perception of time, have it become steady, we're creating a structure that that carries our present moment into a larger present moment with continuum. So how, of course, how that's helpful in music? Well, when you when you're playing with that level of consistency, the magic that that is music happens. If I'm playing something and I'm regular, I'm, I'm steady, someone else can play along. And if they're steady, something magical happens that both of us are steady together that then uh, can cultivate an audience, a receiver to the sound. People are drawn to that steadiness. It moves their body. Now there's a dance between the musician and the audience or the receiver. And then there, you know, and it continues to amplify this basically field of harmony that we know creates a transcendental experience to whatever degree that is. You know, we, you know, the magic that happens at a concert is something different than just listening to the radio. And part of it is that our, at least from my perception, at, from a scientific level, our brain waves and our sort of, and, and even our heartbeats can go into resonance with each other. And there's a sense of a unified electromagnetic field that happens. Then, of course, something maybe at the more metaphysical or mystical level happens with, with all of that alignment. Maybe we open up into higher levels of consciousness. But the point is, is that we're creating a structure that allows for a continuum towards the future, which is still, of course, the present moment but we're staying connected for longer periods of time. And the example there of what the magic that happens with music when that's happening, it brings things to life. It makes things happen. Something changes when musicians are playing together or, or a solo musician is internally regulated. Well, the same thing is with how we live our life. So if we extend that awareness to an even greater degree of, can I be aware of the flow of time throughout the day? So I'm not lost in the moment, I'm not lost in distraction, that a minute, you could do a lot of things in a minute if you're aware of how long a minute actually is or, or staying connected for that time. Versus when we're distracted, a minute could go fly by, an hour can fly by, and all of the 
all of the a lot of the things that are happening in our world are very distracting and basically from my perception are segmenting our attention once again attention is connected to time into very fragmented internal so there's no real structure and therefore there's chaos or disease or you know dissonance all of the things that i think we're seeing in a lot of ways um, but by beginning to tune into time at a greater degree and using rhythm and the principles of rhythm as a means of structure of the flow one we're able to play music but two we're able to have our life become musical and for those who have had difficulty achieving things including myself like i really struggled a lot with getting things done you know ideas i'm a creative person there's plenty of ideas putting them into action has been a real challenge and and the big change is a couple of years ago when i was like i think there's really something to this time attention thing and looking at your life like a musical phrase where every day is like a beat yeah. so it's not just like oh that's that's just tomorrow but but it's but it's a beat and yeah. and maybe even every hour and becoming so hyper aware of the time throughout the day that I can begin to manage my attention in time management, but it's not just time management like, oh, I'll schedule that thing. It's understanding the the, the availability of attention in certain moments. This gets into a very- Okay, yeah, no, 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 yeah. That, I'm glad you mentioned the schedule thing because what was running through my mind um, as you were saying that was, that's that makes me think about the difference between that type of entrainment that happens when you're playing live and everybody's just synced and you're not speeding up or slowing down, you know, because sometimes that can happen where everybody's just like, yeah. just kind of go, goes, goes, goes. Um, but, and then when you're recording and you're using a click track that can, that literally keeps the, the beat for you. So it's like an external thing. Mm-hmm. And so when you said schedule, I, I was trying, I was trying to like, how does that work in life? So it's so much more empowering to feel that sense of entrainment that you've created, right? Not that you need to stop recording with a click track, but your schedule, I feel like a lot of people maybe try to impose that type of flow or entrainment on themselves, which is sort of counterproductive um, by overscheduling, you know, by making mm-hmm. sure that they're doing, you know, it's sort of an external placebo, yeah. well, placebo but what would like a replacement like a or a bad replacement what's there's a word for that (laughs) well i i think it's really important i think actually scheduling is very important but but it's important to understand that the quality of the time changes throughout the day and that's that's based on our attention Mm -hmm. so if you're managing your schedule um and you're doing something at a certain time of the day that your brain is not really capable of doing that that's not really good time management because you don't have the the fuel that's available so part of you know part of this method that i've been developing is based on scheduling but it's it's intelligent scheduling and it's using rhythm as the mechanism for that mm-hmm. you know like just just sort of as an example if if you knew and, and you did some self-evaluation that it, that journaling or writing was a valuable thing for your experience and you know that you know 9 a.m is a is a, is a good seemingly a good time for that there's some sort of there's some sort of pattern that that time period there's a channel open. Well, then it would be good to make to like commit to that choice of at 9 a.m. I'm going to do that. And then what happens is if you think about it, 9 a.m. today, 9 a.m. tomorrow, 9 a.m. the next day is actually a 24 hour rhythm. It's a wider pulse than we're perceiving of, but it's the same 
think of this and yeah. something begins to happen at that, that that crosses from this moment into days on end and then you're actually able to gain traction and just like what you said when people are playing together and there can be the sort of speeding up or momentum that's part of the secret of flow is flow is momentum in rhythm or time pulse is the structure of that so if we're having difficulty getting traction in our life maybe we haven't found a way to have our schedule begin to pick up its own momentum, which happens naturally with music, but it also happens naturally with time. It's just a wider, it's a wider scope of time. So it's, it's a little bit more challenging to perceive of that, but that's why uh, in, in this program that I'm developing, there's a, a lot of emphasis on, on learning how to perceive what I would call micro time, which is basically this. And if you're able to regulate that, then you could begin to expand into a larger period of day. So, so it is scheduling is important because you're 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 say, just like if I'm if I'm playing this pulse, or I'll even use the guitar here. We're in a four-four time. So one, two, three, four. I'm going to schedule an F chord five beats later. So one, two, three, four, one. I think we may be using the term schedule slightly differently, I realize, because you're talking about choices. Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> Which is our third currency, and this is also part of my program, attention, time, and choice. Mm -hmm. And they're all interdependent, but when we align them and we really know how to use them, we can invest all three into whatever we want to do, whatever is important for us. That's awesome. Thank you so much. That's. I had, I had no, I mean, as you know, we had really no, no idea what we were going to be discussing during this time. And that worked out really, really perfectly. So I'm, I'm glad we got this on tape as it were. Yeah. Um, Josh, would you like to tell everyone where they can find your offerings and keep in touch with you? And I will also post those links in the description box of the podcast. Yeah, for sure. I, I have a, a site that's sorely in need of, of an update, uh, which is joshbrill.com. Um, also, my, my Instagram is Yoga of Guitar. And then I have a, a Facebook page as well, Josh Brill Music and Mindfulness. And, and there's also a handful of other websites. But that's if somebody really wants to get in touch with me between those three things, they should probably be able to do that. And then hopefully soon I'll have a little bit more uh, updates about my offerings and have that more accessible to the public. Okay, cool. So if somebody wanted to do one of your courses, that's available on the website? or they would get in contact with you. I think they could find it there. It, it, it needs a little bit of work there. So, so if, they have to, if they're interested in a course and they can't find it, which is possible, um, they could just contact me. But I do have a website, Yoga of Guitar. My ukulele program doesn't, does not have a website yet. It just has a sort of uh, a waiting list page. Okay, cool. I will post all of those links to be easily clickable. All right, well, thank you so much for doing this and thanks y'all for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye. Yeah, thank you, Porter. For more conversations like this and to help us share this podcast, please subscribe on the platform of your choice as well as leave us a comment. To keep in touch with me and receive updates, please sign up for my newsletter at portersinger.com. You'll get a free download as well as receive updates on my self-healing sound courses, workshops, and other community building events that I'm creating. Have a beautiful day.